Have you found Colossians chapter 4? Okay, uh, look, we're going to begin at verse 7. Let's hear the word of God for us this morning. Colossians chapter 4, this is God's word for us today. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that is taking place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read among the church. Uh, sorry, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, "See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord." I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. Your word is powerful, and. There are times, there are passages that we will look at and on the surface we'll wonder how that's going to be. But God, you have inspired every single word of scripture for our good and for your glory. This day, as we sing, speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. God, be glorified and change our lives by your word for your honor. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to confess to you that I was tempted today to make this sermon be, I would stand up and say, and the book ends with Paul saying, tell everybody I said, hey. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? There's more here. And uh, we will see it by God's grace. How many of you have heard of a man named Daniel Boone? Yeah, yeah we know Daniel Boone. right? All my redneck friends know who that is. <laughs> Most of us know who Daniel Boone is. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Simon Kenton? No Simon Kenton fans, right? Yeah, not many people know that name. But if there's no Simon Kenton, most of the stories that you know about Daniel Boone would not have been possible. Simon Kenton was a big mountain man who came west from the Carolinas in the late 1700s. Now, back in those days... And think about this, this was a long time ago. Simon Kenton stood six foot five, two hundred fifty pounds. That's that's big today. That was huge back then. He was an imposing an imposing figure. He loved to explore lands like Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, back before they were really settled. And he was the kind of guy that became fast friends with Daniel Boone. So I want to tell you something that occurred in Boonesboro, Kentucky. 
April 24th, 1777. The fort at Boonesboro was always under the danger of the attack of the nearby Shawnee tribes. And on this particular Thursday, things got a little rough. Now, here's how Alan Eckert tells the story of the attack on Boonesboro in the book The Frontiersman, which is a lot of fun. It says, Simon Kenton and two other guards had posted themselves with their guns at the ready at the open gate when two men went out into the Wood and their arms full were returning to the fort. movie, don't you? One of the men fell, the other dropped his load and burst into a frantic run to reach the gate 60 yards away. The man on the ground got to his hands and knees and began to crawl toward the fort, but six Indians rushed out of the woods and overtook him. Eckert goes on to describe the events that followed. To summarize, Simon Kenton and the other guard charged out to drive off that group of six Indians who had killed their companion. Boone and other men from the fort quickly followed, and everyone in the fort assumed this was a little group of Indians bent on mischief. They did not in any way count on the hundred or so Shawnee hidden in the trees around the clearing. This was an ambush. When the Indian ambush was revealed, Daniel Boone called his men to retreat back to the fort. Simon Kenton fought heroically, attempting to get himself and his guards back inside. As he fought his way back to the fort, Kenton saw an Indian take aim and fire a shot that struck Daniel Boone in the leg, breaking it and rendering Boone unable to walk back to the fort. Kenton shot that Indian and rushed to his friend's aid. Here, I'm quoting Alan Eckert. Boone raised himself on his hands and swiveled around, shaking his head imperatively as Simon ran toward him. Can't get up, gasping. Go on, don't stop. Get to the fort. Simon didn't answer. Pausing only for an instant, he dropped his gun and scooped Daniel Boone into his arms as if the man was a baby. Then set off running just about as fast as he had been running before. Two Indians rushed side by side to cut him off. Instead of veering from them, he continued in his course. Both braves had tomahawks in their hands and triumph in their eyes. When only ten feet separated them, Simon dived, thrusting Boone's body away from him as one might shove away a log being carried. Boone sailed through the air and crashed solidly into the pair, stunning one and knocking both to the ground. That Kenton was able to subdue the Indians who had blocked his path and at whom he had thrown his friend. <laughs> Simon then picked up the now unconscious Boone and raced with him back inside the fort. Without the support of Simon Kenton, Daniel Boone would not have survived the attack and siege at Boonesboro. Boone was a legend. But even a legend could not have made it without the support of a friend. A friend who would be willing to whisk his life for Boone. And yes, a friend also willing to throw him at a couple of Indians when the need arose. I love that story. <laughs> Look, among the ways that God describes the church, God says the church is a body. God says the church is a family. 
And one of the major reasons beside, behind those kinds of descriptions is that the church of God is supposed to stand together. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to live together in such a way as to accomplish God's plan. But Paul didn't work alone. Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He wasn't alone. And none of us are supposed to be alone. We can't do it. We can't make it alone. We're not even supposed to try. Life as a Christian is about us joining in with the community of faith to accomplish what God has for us. A lot of times we miss that aspect of the Christian life. A lot of times we dangerously keep to ourselves and and we go through hard times and we don't tell anybody until those times are over. You ever do that, by the way? You ever be facing something that hurt? You ever be facing something that frightens you? And instead of you calling your Christian friends and letting them know, hey, here's what I'm facing... You ever keep it to yourself because you don't want to bother anybody? Don't be like that. Sometimes we don't let, sometimes we know that people are hurting and we barely let them know that we care. We're all guilty from time to time. But if we're going to live like the church, we've got to live as a people who stand together and who support each other in a godly way. And one way we know we're supposed to do that, the one way we know that we need each other is the example that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Like I said, he was a powerful servant of God. He wrote 13 of our New Testament books, including Colossians, but he never tried to live alone. He always had a supporting cast. And here as we see the book of Colossians come to a close, we get a chance to read the credits and the supporting cast, if you will, takes a bow And so as we watch these people that that Paul sort of trots across the stage at the end, we're going to see some important things for you and me to grasp about how we're called to be supported and how we are to offer support to each other. Now, note takers, there will be six quick points here. Make room. They're all about support. They're all about Christian support. So point number one this morning, support one another through encouraging communication. This is the first thing to learn today. Look at verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activity. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So the first two members of Paul's supporting cast that we meet are Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, Tychicus, he joined Paul during his third missionary journey. He traveled with Paul for several years. He was with Paul even through his Roman imprisonment. And guys, you may not know that name. You may not recognize that name, but this was an important guy. When Paul wanted somebody to take Timothy's place as a pastor, he immediately thought of Tychicus. When Paul wanted Titus to come to him, He sent Tychicus to fill in for him. So this guy, this Tychicus, he was a giant in church days. Yet, and this is significant, all we ever see him do is be a supporter. Now, how about Onesimus? Does that name sound familiar to you? A couple of you it's going to sound familiar to. Onesimus is a runaway slave whose life we read about in the book of Philemon. 
According to that book, Onesimus met Paul while Paul was in prison, and he came to Christ under Paul's ministry. Now, most conservative scholars believe that Philemon and Colossians were written at the same time. And since also with that, most scholars believe that the Colossian church actually met in Philemon's home, it's very possible that with this book, with this letter, Onesimus is actually returning to his former master for the very first time. But he's coming back willingly. He's supporting the ministry of Paul. Now, why is Paul sending these guys? Well, one reason, it's very practical. They're carrying the letter. Remember, the book of Colossians is not a book. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul, from his prison cell, to a church. But also the men are carrying a message. Paul wants these helpers to tell the Colossians about his present circumstances. He wants the Colossians to know about his situation. He wants them to be informed and to be encouraged. We would do well to think about this. It is often our nature to keep things to ourselves. We often want to do our own thing. We often try to guard our privacy. We especially like to guard our privacy when big struggles and hurts are involved. But Paul's not like that. He wants the Colossians to know what's going on. He wants them to know what's occurred. He wants them to know how to pray. So let's learn something. Let's learn how to support each other through communication. Like Paul, be willing to share your life with others. Like Paul, let other people know what God's doing in you and through you. Don't try to guard your privacy. Instead, be as open as you can be with your own personal situation in the church because that encourages support in prayer. It encourages rejoicing when God answers those prayers. It's a godly way to live as part of the body of Christ. But also, listen. When others try to tell you what God's doing in their lives, read those prayer letters from missionaries you know. Support them. Pray for them. Communicate with them. That's part of Christian support in the church. Now, second point. Support others, not just with communication. Support others and allow others to support you in ministry. So support each other as you do ministry is the idea. Look at 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who's called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So here we go. We've got three more guys on, crossing the stage. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, Justice. Now, this guy, Jesus called Justice, we know nothing about him except that his name's here. Aristarchus is another traveling companion of Paul's. His name shows up several times in Acts, but pretty much just that he's there. But then there's Mark, also called John Mark from time to time. He's the name you know. If I, if I mention to you Mark, what do you think of? Maybe a book called Mark, right? Mark wrote the second gospel in our New Testaments. By the way... It's the first gospel that was written. So Mark was a pretty important dude. Also remember, Mark, well, he was kind of the center of a little argument that Paul and Barnabas had. 
Here's what you need to know. Clearly, Paul has gotten over it. Whatever feelings he had about Mark early on, Paul's better. Now, all three of these men, according to Paul, are of the circumcision. This means that they were part of, maybe they were formerly practicing Jews. It could mean that they actually used to belong to a religious group that gave Paul difficulty from time to time because it was always the circumcision group that opposed Paul the most. But whatever the past of these men, Paul is now ministering with them. Do you think there might be a lesson for us there? Have you ever had somebody hurt your feelings and you've decided the best thing to do would be to banish them for life? Be honest. If somebody messes you around, you kind of do want to just put them out, don't you? Look, can we be honest with each other enough to say that we all have pasts that are difficult to deal with? I'm going to guess that as a Christian, you haven't always been the sweetest little angel in the whole wide world yourself. We've all done stuff, or thought stuff at least, that probably should have disqualified us from Christian service. But here's the deal. Paul didn't write these guys off. Even though he could have, right? Paul could have been bitter. He could have remembered how Mark totally flaked out during the mission trip leaving him and Barnabas to do all the work while he went home to his mommy, which is precisely what Mark did. But instead, Paul's not bitter. Paul worked with them. He says, listen, if Mark comes, you greet him. He is good. He is a helper. Paul didn't just minister with these men. He received their support in turn. That also is a hard lesson for some of us. Some of y'all are great servers, but you're not really great at letting other people help you. But listen, if we want to do ministry the way God set it up, we have to support others and we have to let others support us. Interdependence is crucial. So in the church, there's no such thing as the declaration of independence for us. We need the declaration of interdependence. I need you, you need me. Otherwise, we cannot do the work. So let's learn to communicate our needs to each other. Let's learn to listen to the needs of others. Let's never gossip. Let's never complain about each other. Let's never say stuff just to be negative or hurtful about others. But let's learn to work to help others. And let's learn to let others help us. Third point. We've got ministering together. We've got communication. This time, support one another in prayer. Look at verse 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So, does the name Epaphras sound familiar to you? When's the last time you read Colossians from the beginning? Because he shows up at the beginning of this book. Now, how long is this book? How far you got to flip back to see the beginning? Yes, I know it took us like 16 weeks, but that's a whole other topic entirely. <laughs> Don't judge me. But if you just read this as a letter, Epaphras' name would be bouncing around your head still, right? Epaphras was likely the founding pastor of the Colossian church. He's like the church planter. Okay, he, he was the guy that went to meet Paul in prison. 
He's the one that went to tell Paul about the dangerous false teaching that was seeping into the churches in the region. It was probably that meeting with Paul that really occasioned the writing of Colossians to begin with. And here's what's cool. Epaphras is committed, committed to praying for the Colossians. He loved the people of the Colossian church and his love for the church wasn't just an empty declaration. Epaphras labored for them in prayer. Now, that word in your Bible, if you're reading ESV, that says he labors for them in prayer, that's where we get our English word agony or agonize from. He prayed hard. He agonized in prayer for these people. He loved them and he constantly brought them before God's throne. Even though he was apart from them, he prayed. So let's remember here what Epaphras did. It was a great ministry. Prayer is a crucial part to the success of any Christian and any ministry. It's it's true today. It was true back then. So let me ask you a question. Do you love our church? If so, support it in prayer. Take a cue from Epaphras and his faithfulness and agonize, wrestle, struggle for the church in prayer. Fourth point, support one another. We had prayer, we had communication, right? We had ministry. Support one another with scripture. Look at 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Yes, I know we skipped verse 14. How many of you caught it? We'll get back to it. Here in verse 15, Paul instructs the church to share the letter. Now, the letter was aimed directly at issues in Colossae, but they're still supposed to pass it down to Laodicea after they heard it. And similarly, the Colossians are supposed to read whatever letter Paul wrote to the church at Laodicea. Now, what's that letter? What is the letter to Laodicea? Laodicea was a church right down the road, a town right down the road from Colossae. They weren't far apart. And scholars, you know, there's a lot of theories about the letter to Laodicea. Maybe it's a letter Paul wrote that we just never got. It's also actually very possible that when Paul says, read the letter that the Laodiceans have, he actually means the book of Ephesians. Because the book of Ephesians looks like what they used to call a circular letter, meaning it was to be circulated from church to church. And some of the earliest manuscripts of the book of Ephesians actually don't include the word Ephesians in it. It's possible it was for all those little churches in the area. We don't know for sure. It doesn't really matter whether Paul's saying, read the book of Ephesians or read this other letter that we didn't get in our Bibles. The point is, Paul wants to make sure that both churches, Laodicea and Colossae, see the letters that Paul has written. Why? Why does he want to pass those letters around? Because Paul knew that Paul was an apostle. Paul knew that he was writing inspired words given through an apostle by God to the people. He knew he was writing with divinely given authority and divinely given inspiration. Paul wanted to draw the churches toward those writings as much as he could. He wanted them to have the authoritative, written-down word of God because Paul knew that the word of God is absolutely essential for the healthy life of any church. 
Paul knew they needed scripture. And that's why he said, pass these around. Now, what about us? Do we need the written down word of God as much as the people in Colossae and Laodicea did? I think we do. Do you want to encourage another Christian in his or her walk? Point them to the word of God. Direct them to the Bible. Help other people grow by challenging them to read God's word and know God's word. That's crucial. All right, fifth point. Support others, helping them to finish strong. Support others, helping them to finish strong. Now go back to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So far, it's inspiring, isn't it? Are you guys with me, by the way? Y'all wake us up? Okay. Quiet today. Stop that. All right, so Luke, there's another name we know, right? He wrote two books of the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, which, by the way, probably made him a really useful traveling companion of Paul's. I mean, Paul gets shipwrecked, people throw rocks at him, he gets beat up all the time, he got sick on his first missionary journey. He needed a doctor. Luke was also a really, really good historian. Anyone who's ever analyzed Luke's writing say he was a first-rate, first-class historian. He faithfully restored it, reported what he, what he went through, what he did, But Luke also did his homework. He researched things that he didn't see himself, right? I mean, if you look at Luke's stories in the gospel, according to Luke, he's done interviews. He hunted people down. He talked to folks. He asked them what they went through. Otherwise, there's no possible way for Luke to have known what Mary was thinking after Jesus was born, but he did. Then there's this other guy, Demas. Don't name your kids after this guy. His name occurs three times in the New Testament. And every time it's with Luke. So clearly Demas hung out with Luke. But here's what we know right here. Right here in Colossians, Demas is a helper. He's a faithful helper. Paul must have considered Demas to be really useful because he mentions him in this text to the church. Demas says hi. But you guys know the Demas story enough, don't you? It's only a few years later, probably four years, give or take, after Paul wrote this letter. He's in prison again, and he's not going to get out the next time he's in prison. And Paul writes this. I'm going to read to you 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 10. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas deserted Paul. He started off well, but he doesn't finish well. Here in Colossians, Demas is still being faithful, but it won't stick for the next five years. Now, look down at verse 17. And say to Archippus, 
See that you fulfill the ministry. Fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. Paul sends an encouragement to a man named Archippus. Again, he's one of the three leaders of the Colossian church. He's one of the three people mentioned in the letter to the Philemon. He has a ministry to accomplish. He has a job to do. And Paul says to Archippus, you keep doing it. You push through the discouragement. You finish strong. Many times Christians start off strong and excited. We get really cranked about the things we want to accomplish for the Lord who saved us. But let me ask you, how much does a strong start mean? How much does a strong finish mean? We need to encourage each other. Yeah, start well. By all means, start well. But we really, really need to be about encouraging each other to finish strong. Because you're going to go through tough times. Have you guys noticed that from time to time life really stinks? It's not impressive if you were all bubbly and good back when it was easy and you just fall apart when it stinks. Right? We need each other. You and I need someone to keep us going, to call the goal to mind, to make sure that we don't lose it when it's hard because there are going to be times that we want to let go. We need, we need somebody to call us to keep the goal in mind when we want to go somewhere too quickly. We need to remember this is a long-distance race. A big flare of excitement at the beginning doesn't mean anything. We need fellow Christians who will encourage us, who will remind us to finish the things that we start. So the call here is encourage each other. Offer each other support. Offer the help needed for your fellow Christians to finish strong. Last point now. Point number six, support one another by pointing to the grace of God. Support one another by pointing to the grace of God. Here we go. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So here we've done it. We've reached the end of a whole book of the Bible. Aren't you excited? You should be more excited than that. And Paul, he includes a little, little closing in his own handwriting, right? That was a custom of the day. Now, what would Paul do? Paul, most of his letters were dictations. He would speak the letters and a scribe or something you'd call an emanuensis would write the words down. But at the end here, Paul writes the last little line in his own handwriting so people could know that this was authentically his. By the way, why do you think Paul needed to make sure people noticed that he signed the letter himself? Do we have any indication in the Bible that someone might have tried to fake a letter from Paul? Read the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians and you'll see that that, that actually happened to Paul early in his ministry. So Paul would make a little, little sentence at least that said, this is me, so people could see his handwriting and know that it wasn't somebody trying to trick him. Paul asks the Colossians, remember my chains. Paul was in prison. Paul was being persecuted for sharing the gospel. Paul wants the people to know what he's going through. He wants them to pray for him. He wants them to be encouraged by the sacrifice that he is making on their behalf. 
And then Paul wraps up with the last closing of grace. Because grace is what this book's all been about. Think about this book, right? We saw at the beginning of the book that salvation is not by works. Salvation does not come to you because you got some special mystical spiritual hidden knowledge. Salvation is not something you get by being religious enough. Aren't you glad, by the way, that you can't make God like you more by being good? Because y'all ain't that good. I'm not either. Salvation is by and only by the grace of God coming through and only through genuine personal faith in Jesus. If you want to be forgiven by God, you turn away from your sins and put your trust in the person and work of Christ. In chapter 3, Paul called us to set our minds heavenward. He wants us to remember to reflect the grace of Christ in our lives. He wants us to demonstrate that grace in how we behave toward each other and how we behave toward the outside world. And as Paul wraps up, grace is all over his mind. Are you a gracious person? Does your life point others to the grace of Jesus? Do your words, do your actions show people that you follow a God who is loving and kind and merciful and gracious? Do you live as someone who worships the Son of God? You know, it hit me in this really weird introspective moment just recently. I was thinking back to something I had done years ago that was right. I did something right. It didn't happen often, so I, was, I remembered it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, for the first time, I was able to see this right thing I had done. And it was a, it was a walking away from, a, from sin, by the way. But I realized that also that right thing, even though it was right and I should have done it, it was really hurtful to someone else. And it reminded me that some of the rightest right that I'll ever do still messed up. Do you guys know what I mean? Sometimes you can be as, quote, good as you want to be. And sometimes your good choice is just going to crush somebody else who's trying to lead you in a different direction, even if they're wrong. Right? And I say that to you because I want you to recognize we need grace desperately. And we need our mouths and our attitudes to display grace desperately. And that means that even when you're right, you need to learn to be graciously right. A right thing done in a wrong way ain't all that right. You know what I mean? One way to encourage others in the body, one way to help each other along, is to keep pointing each other to the grace of God. Remind people to live as those under grace. Remind people of God's grace when they're struggling. Remind them of God's grace when they're discouraged. Let God's grace call you to fulfill the ministry to which you're called. 
Look, I know, I know, I know. The closing portion of a letter like Colossians may not be the most exciting text. Many of you have not tried to memorize this passage. Again, summarized, Paul said, hey. But we need to support each other. And this is evidence of it. We need friends who will come and pick us up when we're down. Just like Simon Kenton ran out and picked up Daniel Boone. You might even need a friend who would throw you at an enemy if that's what it takes to help you get where you got to go. Look, support each other through encouraging communication. Support others and allow others to support you in ministry. Support one another in prayer. Support one another with scripture. Support others and help them to finish strong. Support one another by pointing to the grace of God. This whole book. What's it about? It's about Jesus. It's a declaration of his deity, his godness. It's a declaration of his sufficiency, his completeness. It's a call for us to live under Jesus's grace. It's been a call for us to live for his glory. And as you look back on Colossians, remember the completely sufficient savior. Remember the gospel that is all of grace, all through faith, all the work of Christ, all to God's glory from start to finish. Remember the call to live differently because we've been changed by the grace of God for the glory of our savior and not Oh, my goodness, don't you dare think you get to live differently so you can earn something. Remember the call to pray for and to prepare to influence the world around you with the gospel for the honor of Christ. And remember this closing call. Come alongside each other and make sure that all of us meet the challenges of life in a fallen world together, just as the Savior told his disciples to do. Let's bow together and let's pray. Lord, there's so much we could say. There's so much more that we need to get right. And what I would ask you, Lord, is just help us get it right. Help us love each other well. Help us support each other well. Help us honor you well. Help us do, well, just the gracious Christian life together. God be glorified. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this body, this church. Help us to love you and love each other, just like Jesus said. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to have a closing or sort of a follow-up song here. We're going to worship Jesus. But as we do, pray about how God might have you respond to his word.